Welcome to Good Girls Talk About Sex. I am sex and intimacy coach Leah Carey, and this is a place to share conversations with all sorts of women about their experience of sexuality. These are unfiltered conversations between adult women talking about sex. If anything about the previous sentence offends you, turn back now. And if you're looking for a trigger warning, you're not going to get it from me. I believe that you are stronger than the trauma you have experienced. I have faith in your ability to deal with things that upset you. Sound good? Let's start the show. episode, we'll meet Amy, a 47-year-old cisgendered woman who describes herself as Caucasian, bisexual, and married. I was interested in talking with Amy because she teased me with this juicy bit of info. After being with her husband for almost 30 years, they discovered a previously undisclosed mutual interest in a new sexual adventure. How did they go for so long without discovering this shared interest? She'll tell us today. Our conversation went on for over an hour, and there's so much we couldn't include in this episode. You're going to want to hear the whole thing, including the story of the evolution of how Amy and her husband define their relationship. So now is the time to head to patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex to access all of the full uncut interviews featured on this show. I'm so pleased to introduce Amy. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to talk to you because I know from some of the interactions we've had, uh, you have a really interesting story to tell. So thank you for being here. Oh, well, thank you for uh, giving me a space to talk about it and for asking. Absolutely. Um, So the first question that I ask everyone who I speak to is, what is your first memory of sexual desire? (laughs) Oh, my. So when I was very young, I grew up in a very nice, warm, loving, supportive household. And I remember realizing why men and women were different (laughs) when my father had a friend who would frequently come over. Now, this was all in my head. There was nothing else going on. But I looked at this tall, dark-haired, bearded, strapping man wearing a red check flannel shirt, and I had feelings. (laughs) There were things going on that I'd never felt before. And I think I was probably about eight or nine. (laughs) And I just kept it to myself and thought, Oh, and you know, around that time, you're often reading, you know, the books, the Judy Bloom books, and all the other books that start stirring these things. And I just recall, like things coming together in my mind and going, Oh, (laughs) (laughs) so how long did it take for you to turn that into actual action to have an experience where you put that together with actual physical pleasure? Probably about two days. No, I I do remember um, 
not hiding, but kind of knowing that these things that I did in my bedroom by myself were kind of things I had to hide. And oh my gosh, what if mom found out? And every now and then she would have a suspicion. Like one time, um, I was a little tantric and I didn't even know it. I would go into the bathroom and I would like exercise that PC muscle, I'd start going to the bathroom and then stop and start going to the bathroom and stop and get a lot of pleasure out of that. And I remember one time my mom coming down the hall and just like banging on the door and going, will you hurry up? What are you doing in there? (laughs) (laughs) How did you discover that that muscle and that exercise? I don't know. I just discovered it just happened. And I went, Ooh, Hey, that felt kind of good. I'm going to do it again. Wow. Do you remember discovering masturbation? I don't remember it specifically. I remember doing it a lot, but I don't (laughs) remember it specifically. Do you know how old you were when you started? Mm, Probably about nine, eight or nine. Uh Uh-huh. And did you come to something that you would now call an orgasm? Yes. What did you think of that then? Do you remember? Amazing. I was like, oh my God, what is this? (laughs) Now, around the same time, I had started to put together kind of my own experiences with some things I was reading about. I had a really great librarian in my school that I had a very high reading level. So she pretty much let me roam the library instead of like, okay, your kids can be here in this section and your kids can be here in this section. So I, I had some access to information, both like fictional storytelling and also like books about health that I started diving into. I was very well read as a young adult. (laughs) (laughs) So what did you, what were you looking for? It was just, I mean, I knew there was something amazing out there. (laughs) I didn't understand it because I never had any, I mean, I had a very, very chaste childhood, you know, I never had, never had any bad touch, never had any type of those things happen to me. So it was totally just this amazing a wonderful world that I was discovering, you know, because I remember having that feeling of, oh, these are why boys and girls' bodies are different. And then kind of just going, but, but why? I don't understand the mechanisms. I mean, I remember my mom took me to the doctor when I was probably about 10 because she saw the signs of, you know, me approaching puberty. And I got that silly little book. I wish I'd kept it. You know, that silly little book that the doctor gives you that, you know, explains it as when a mommy and a daddy love each other very much, (laughs) they lie very close together, you know, but that wasn't doing it for me. (laughs) (laughs) I knew there was something else going on out there and I needed to learn about it. So (laughs) that's so funny. When my, when I was little, I, I think I was about four or five when my parents got the How Babies Are Made book. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, it was pretty uh, uh, graphic. I mean, Mm -hmm. it it wasn't sexual, but it was like, this is a daddy's penis. And Mm -hmm. when he's, you know, when he loves the mommy very much, it gets erect. And, and, um, (laughs) and we lived, my parents ran an inn and we lived in bedrooms in the inn. So I was there all of the time. And, you know, I was cute and precocious. And so I would sit down and I would talk with the guests. And every once in a while, my parents would come out and find me reading the How Babies Are Made book. It's <laughs> 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 like 70-year-old people <laughs> who just had these really big eyes like, is this okay? <laughs> That's awesome. 
<laughs> what were you hearing in your childhood home about quote unquote appropriate sexuality? Not much, not in a bad way, but just not much. Uh, I'm an only child and, you know, at home, um, I never saw my parents fight. <laughs> I saw way more grab assing and kissing <laughs> and things like that. Um, so, you know, I did kind of grow up in almost an idyllic kind of household for that kind of stuff. Um, you know, my mom and I were very close, um, you know, close physically. We did a lot of, you know, the, the kind of girly rituals. We would brush each other's hair and rub each other's shoulders, give each other facials, things like that. Um, <laughs> nice. And, you know, my father was, <laughs> was open, but was also kind of cautious <laughs> and would like hold those things that like, oh, uh, honey, that's, that's for you to handle. Um, <laughs> but I do remember one evening, I was probably 11 and my period had just recently started started. And, you know, my mother treated that so beautifully. Um, I, I, I remember it happening and I was, I was prepared for it, but not prepared for it at the same time. And I remember just saying out loud to my fifth grade teacher at the time, I was like, um, I need to go to the office. Cause I think my period just started oh. <laughs> <laughs> like right in front of the whole class, you know, but I mean, to me, I was like, ah, well, you know, looking around, it's going to happen to well, not everybody, but it's going to happen to a good number of us. So why would it be weird? Um, and literally, she took me out for ice cream and we went and bought products and talked about all that stuff. And it was, you know, it was it was a great celebration. And I remember probably a couple months later, we were in the living room watching a movie and I tried to like almost covertly like convey something to my mom about that. And my dad just goes, what? Do you think I don't know about that? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so I was, you know, of course you're embarrassed. You're, you know, 11 year old girl, everything's embarrassing. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was kind of like, you know, this is okay. This stuff is not weird. It's okay. It just is. So it sounds like you had a really affectionate home. Very um, did you see your parents like kissing? Did you have an idea of what happened between adults? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like, um, Every night when my dad would come home from work, mom and dad would kiss. And, you know, whenever she'd be cooking dinner, he'd come in and smack her on the butt or, you know, I mean, they were just very not, you know, explicit, but very demonstrative. There was a lot of love in our house. That's really lovely. So how old were you when you first started exploring sexuality, moving from solo sex to partnered sex? <laughs> I remember thinking to myself, I've been reading, <laughs> I'm prepared, I'm realistic. And I was 14 when I actively decided I'm going to get myself laid. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, it was very much a, I'm going to make this happen. And I, you know what? It's the first time I know it's not going to be great, but I'm tired of reading about it and hearing about it. I want to check it out. <laughs> yeah. And so how did you go about that? <laughs> Oh my. Um, with that kind of intention in my head, I was hanging out with Missy one summer week and we had gone camping. And <laughs> in another one of those stories that you just think, what? These things really happened. These guys <laughs> rolled up in their car and said, hey girls, how you doing? And we're chatting us up. Because you have to understand at 14, I really looked more like a, you know, like a young college student. Um, I always looked old for my age. I developed very early <laughs> and I spent a lot of my time around adults. So I also 
maybe acted a little different too. So I was wearing, you know, cutoff shorts and a college sweatshirt. So the assumption was that we were college students and they were like, hey, you want to come to this party with our house, you know, at our house tonight? And we said, yeah, sure. Because <laughs> we knew that, wow. um, yeah, the, uh, I think her aunt and uncle that were camping with us, they were going to be out partying. They would probably be drunk all night. Hmm. So we said, sure, we'll go to this party. So they swung back through the campground later on that night, picked us up. And we went to just a house party uh, with some college students. And um, <laughs> I remember um, just kind of following Missy around for protection. But then uh, someone started talking to me and I really liked him and I thought he was pretty funny and pretty cool and pretty nice. And I did not drink as a teenager, but I remember asking, do you have something to drink? (laughs) And I took like two swigs of something really vile, like Mountain Dew and vodka, you know, some really (laughs) ridiculous. And it was literally to kind of screw up my courage. And um, then he asked me if I wanted to go back to his room to, I mean, it was something totally cheesy. He's like, you want to see my martial arts uniform? <laughs> oh, so cheesy. But I was like, you know, I, I remember pausing because I mean, I, I was so aware just because of what I had read. I was so aware. This was not a fantasy. This was not a fairy tale. This was, this was serious stuff. And I remember taking a deep breath, taking another drink and then saying, yes, I'd love to. <laughs> Mm. and how scared were you oh man you know there's there's that thrilling type of energy that you can sometimes say is scared and then there's that really i'm 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 fearful for myself scared this is definitely the former (laughs) um but yeah very i mean like shaking very um Because, I mean, as much as you read, it truly is, you know, the biggest, darkest, scariest unknown I had as a child. So, and, you know, I was so lucky. This young man was amazing. And I remember in vivid detail, first we were sitting on opposite sides of the bed and he was showing me his martial arts uniform and other things. (laughs) (laughs) As cheesy as that is. Um, And then he came a little closer, but he asked, can can I move closer to you? And I said, yes. And I mean, every step of the way, and you know, this was back in the eighties, you know, we didn't have a lot of media teaching people about consent, but he was very kind. He was very considerate and kind of every step of the way there was a, is this okay? Can I kiss you? Can I this, that? And um, (laughs) things are going very smoothly until we're in bed, we're under the covers and he's, you know, I'm down in my bathing suit because it was summer. We were running around camping. So um, he's taken off my sweatshirt. He's gone under the bathing suit and it's time to take the bathing suit off. I leap out of bed. I mean, boom, like a shot. And I stand up and I say, there's something I have to tell you. And he gets this look on his face like, oh God. And he's like, yes. And I said, I'm a virgin. I've never done this before. I don't know what I'm doing. And I remember the look on his face. <laughs> it was like, jackpot no (laughs) no it was it was surprise followed by concern and i remember he looked down he took a deep breath which is what kind of made i mean it really was like i recognize that and then he pulled the covers back and he said i would love it if you would come back in here with me he said but if you don't want to i'm totally fine with that as well it's whatever you want to do 
Oh my goodness. How lovely. Yes. It was amazing. And so I shucked off that bathing suit and got back into bed. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, frankly, over the next few hours, he taught me a lot. He was, he was patient. He was considerate. He was sexy. Um, And I had a great time my first time. I wouldn't say I orgasmed. I wouldn't say it was that great, but it was not the horrifying, painful, awful experience that I had read about that I was really prepared for. And, you know, I was a curious young woman and he, you know, he would ask me, have you ever done this? And I'm like, no. And he'd say, would you like to learn? And I'm like, yes. (laughs) So, um, yeah, we had quite a lovely evening. Did you ever see him again after that? I did not. Wow. Yeah. This really sounds like sort of one of those perfect encapsulated moments. Are you aching to explore new vistas of your sexuality? Do you hear me talk about concepts on this show and think it makes sense, but I need help applying it to my particular situation? That's where personalized sex and intimacy coaching comes in. When you work with me, I promise to help you feel safe exploring your sexuality. Together, we'll look at your needs and desires without judgment and help you figure out how to fulfill them. There is no single answer that's right for everyone, so I'm going to help you discover what's right for you. And we'll go at your pace. That's the pace that respects your emotional needs, your boundaries, and your nervous system. Because going too fast can send you into shutdown, while going too slow can be infuriating and exhausting. The goal is to find what's right for you. I work with clients who are motivated to explore many different areas of sexuality, including things like expressing your sexual desires to current or future partners, exploring if you might be queer, challenging body image insecurity in sexual relationships, dipping your toes into BDSM, exploring consensual non-monogamy, learning to date after a long time out of the dating pool, exploring your sexuality for later in life virgins, and so much more. I want you to have a deeply fulfilling, intimate life. And together, we can help you get there. For more information and to schedule your discovery call, visit leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. That's leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. I have been with my partner for 29 years. We've been married for 26. Wow. We met when I was 17 and I was just out of a two-year relationship, which is really long for a high school student. And I seriously was like, I am done. I am done with relationships. I want nothing. I'm I'm going to be on my own forever. <laughs> <laughs> and two weeks later, I met him and I... I, I I don't necessarily believe in love at first sight, but I remember looking at him and going, I must date him. So before we started recording, um, we chatted a little bit and you told me that for much of your marriage, the two of you were open. You had an open relationship, but that uh, you didn't really 
use that openness very often. You you didn't actually engage with other people that much. So can you talk a little bit about how the two of you decided that an open relationship was the right choice for you and and what kind of communication was required in order to make that a workable solution for you? Yeah, um, for us, it was kind of part of our natural progression. We come from very different backgrounds. You know, I came from a very safe, warm, loving, demonstrative household. Um, And I mean, to this day, you know, if my parents are around and one of them lays down to take a nap, I'll go lay down and cuddle up right next to him. Um, You know, that type of safety. He came from a very different background. And so right off the bat, our communication styles, our love languages, our needs, our wants were very different. Uh, And that was always a challenge. And from very early on, um, we were aware of those differences and worked even at our young age, which, you know, we were smart, but we were still young and stupid. Um, You know, we we didn't know how to talk about these things in the way that we would today. But um, we had a period where we did break up and it was only about two weeks. But as we came back together, we talked about, I want to be with you, but I'm not really done playing around in this way either. Is there a way to do both? And we also talked about it in a sense of, I've always had different boundaries with my friends. I mean, I had friends when I was in high school that we would sit and cuddle on the couch and watch movies together. And so I wanted him to know that that was different, but that was okay. And so we had already been talking about boundaries that were a little different than the norm. Um, And so that kind of naturally rolled into this. I want to be with you, but do we have to be with only each other? And so for a period of time, we did that in college. Um, But then it was really more of something we spoke of philosophically, because it is a lot of work and it is a lot of time. And we didn't necessarily always have the social circle that would kind of offer those opportunities. So through the years, we didn't really pursue it. And then when we moved to Oregon about 13 years ago, I found Love Tribe in Portland after I'd been here about a year. And I got involved in Love Tribe. I'm the outgoing, you know, confident, secure one. He was more, you know, he's he's wonderfully social when you get to know him, but it takes him a while to trust. And he, you know, just isn't going to go running out into a crowd going, hey, where are the cool people? Like, <laughs> like I can do sometimes. So um, what tended to happen during that period of time as I was going to events of various types, and we were always discussing our boundaries, always discussing what was okay, always discussing what what are you feeling, what are you hoping to do, what have you done. Um, being open and transparent has always been really important to us. And so during that time, I had some connections that I kind of shared. I, I I remember I had a lover once, and we were we were sitting uh, one night talking, and he's like, you know. I think my partner would really get along with and enjoy your partner. And I was like, that's a great idea. <laughs> In hindsight, it was not. <laughs> but uh, uh, we learned. We learned a lot from that situation. Um, but yeah, so, you know, I brought some people, I would say, into our household that that connection itself gave him the comfort and the security to open up. 
And then about a year and a half ago, we had, um, we just had one of those life experiences where you find yourself standing on the precipice of, you know, change. And you either have that choice to kind of shy away from the cliff's edge and go back to what's comfortable, but not really what you want or make that leap to where, where you want to be. And, you know, for us, it really was, we were both holding back just a little bit from each other. And we, we both decided, nope, we're going to take the leap. We're going to do it. And so um, I would say about a year and a half ago, we started much more um, pointedly and um, consciously trying to develop the types of connections we wanted, more connections and more shared connections. And of course, there's been a lot of processing of that along the way, because you can talk about something in theory all day long, but how you really feel when it happens can be a lot more nuanced and complex. You know, it really comes down to the individuals figuring out what do I need and what do I have to offer? Um, because whether you have a primary relationship or a stressful job or a commitment to your art or child rearing responsibilities, those are all things which take up the time and resources that are in your life. And you need to be able to really understand what are my priorities, where, where am I already invested with my time, and what do I have to give? Mm, I like the way that you just talked about that. Um, yeah. Because it's so easy to overcommit mm-hmm. and to think this is something that I want, but do I really have the space yeah. to inside my the, my life the way it looks? And and if I do, great. But if I don't, do I want this enough in order to give up something else yeah. to make space for it? Yeah. I think those are questions we often don't ask ourselves. Or, or let me just claim this for myself. That is a question I often don't ask myself quite as often much as I should. I think you're in good company. (laughs) And and yeah, I think that one of my goals has been to ask those questions early and often, because I have seen and I've also been in situations where those questions are always there, you just don't realize them until you're really in the thick of things. Mm -hmm. And then you have, it's, it's, it's much harder to, you know, meet everybody's needs, not hurt any feelings. And do what you can do to help people get what they want and what they need. Um, if you're aware of those beforehand, instead of kind of getting in the thick of it and then going, Whoa, wait a minute. Yeah. So the title of this podcast is good girls talk about sex. I would love to know what, what do the words good girl mean to you? <laughs> well, the interesting thing for me, that actually has a context that's, um, very BDSM related. Um, uh-huh. You have mentioned to me, and and I don't know any of this story, so I'm excited to hear it. But you have mentioned to me that after a long time together, you and your husband made a shared discovery, and I want love to hear that story. <laughs> Part of that opening up was we kind of acknowledged to one another that. We both had an interest in BDSM, specifically kind of um, the DS, the dominance and submission kind of angle on it. Now, (laughs) I am a very outgoing, very self-sufficient, you know, very, you don't tell me what to do kind of woman. So, but that's exactly where 
this interest in submission lies because that's a lot of work to be doing and sometimes it's really nice just to let go of all that. Well, we together over the years, uh, when we were in college, we were involved with um, a local group that kind of, they held erotic balls, they gave some education about, you know, BDSM for the community, uh, very light stuff. So we we had a knowledge and we had an interest. We did some impact play like with floggers and paddles and stuff, but that was really, that was really all that we did together. And it never really seemed to really blossom. And what we found out (laughs) about a year and a half ago was that we both were kind of harboring feelings on both sides of the coin. I was wanting more of this type of interaction and he was interested in that as well. But there's this very tricky question of, but can I do that with my long-term life partner? You know, those those types of actions dig really deep into a lot of uh, a lot of soft tissue <laughs> in the mind. And so we spent a lot of time after we discovered, you know, whoa, you've been wanting to do this and I've been wanting to do this. And the things we want to do actually dovetail in together pretty well. How could we be around each other <laughs> for so long, so much and not know this. And that was part of what we were hiding from one another. We were a little, a little embarrassed, a little shamed, a little scared um, to come out with that. So how did that conversation happen the first time? Who said it first? How, like, just how does that happen? Like you're saying in the context of a long-term relationship where you have your patterns and your um, sort of ways of doing things, how did you break out of that? to actually admit it to one another? Um, For us, there were some things that happened that were deeply personal that I don't really want to get into, but it was that coming, coming to the precipice with where you have to make that decision. Do I go back to what is unfulfilling, but comfortable, or do I just break it all open and go all in? Um, so that's kind of complicated and I know it doesn't answer the question, but probably would be impossible <laughs> to answer the question. Um, okay. but then we just started talking about it. What does that mean? What does that mean to you? What does that look like to you? We started sharing things that we liked, you know, videos or stories or things that we found online. And then we started playing gently with one another and trying things and having a lot of, you know, a lot of debrief, a lot of feedback afterwards. How did you like that? Was there anything you would change? Uh, you know, and going both ways. I, I think with kink, one of the challenges for people is that it's something that they hide, sometimes even from themselves. I know I went through a period where I would look at stuff and be like totally into it in the moment. And then afterwards, I'd feel bad about it. I'd be like, oh, so bad. <laughs> even yeah. though even though knowing that this is material created by consensual people who are enjoying it and, and you know, all that good stuff. Um, but then um, just kind of working and walking that path together with each other. Because I know that a lot of people... Um, They look at a lot of the porn online, which porn online is not really a good uh, measuring stick for real life in a lot of situations. And so they think they think of it almost like it's something that's in the movies. Uh, And wow, this just magically happens and things always go perfectly. And and no, it takes a lot more work than that. Takes a lot more sharing, takes a lot more um, inspection of 
what is available and what's possible. So what kinds of conversations did you have to have at the beginning? Like what kinds of negotiations did you have to have? For two people who know each other so well for so long, um, a, a lot of it was more about confirming what we thought we knew. Um, and also the, there's always been a very heavy concept in our relationship of, uh, you know, that gift of the Magi kind of thing. I want to do things for him such that I will make sacrifices. And he wants to do things for me such that he'll make sacrifices. But sometimes we can just almost cross each other in the dark with the sacrifices that we're making so that when the light comes up, we're still on opposite sides of whatever it was we were on. Um, so we had to really hold each other closely and accept, you know, these are the things that you're feeling or thinking or wanting. And I assure you that I'm okay with those. In fact, I want those too. Um, and between a dominant and a sub, there's always that possibility that, you know, a sub wants to please, a sub wants to do what is being asked of them. But a good dominant needs to know that that sub is not going to go over the boundaries that she has set for herself or he has set for herself that he or she needs. You know, I mean, there are certain things that I would do. Um, maybe I'm not really wild into it, but eh, it's not that big of a deal to me. But there are things that, you know, I mean, I've had to assure my partner, I won't let you hurt me. Hmm. And that is where the real trust comes in. You know, you have to trust me that I'm not going to let you take me anywhere that I truly don't want to go. Mm -hmm. How much does the DS dynamic play out in your relationship? Is it just like you say, okay, we're going to set a cut aside a couple hours on Sunday and that is the container or does it play out in the rest of your life relationship as well? So, there's a lot of different terminologies and things. And some people will say, well, they live this 24 seven, which means it is an element of their relationship all day, every day. Um, we are definitely the opposite end of that. We say it's only when we create these spaces. It's only when we are engaging in these activities. The reality has been really interesting and this has gone both ways. So, the more that we have gone deeper into that, the more that I want to just be more aware of him and his wants and needs, but that works the other way as well. He has become so much more of a considerate, almost doting partner outside hmm. of those spaces. And we've talked about that quite a bit. And frankly, it's because of the recognition of the great gifts that we give each other in that space. The vulnerability that you exhibit in those spaces, whether you're the masochist or the sadist, <laughs> um, can be very, very powerful. Um, you know, for me, submission is really a gift because it's hard. It's really difficult for me to let go, for me to give someone else control because I'm in control of so much the whole rest of the time. Um, that's my natural 
disposition. It's what I get paid to do. It's, you know, so much part of my personality. At the same time, that's where a lot of the reward for giving it up comes. It's so nice to just let someone else be responsible and and take the leads. And most of our play focuses on on sensation. And, you know, I, I am the type of person that I don't like pain. Um, but through BDSM play, I have enjoyed a wide range of sensations that if someone were just to walk up to me right now and do it to me, I'd probably punch him in the face because it would be pain. But I like, one of the things I like about sensation play in BDSM is it's a gaming of the central nervous system. And if you get someone's energy up and you stimulate them in certain ways and you hang them on that edge for so long, what they can tolerate and what they perceive as painful versus not really changes. Um, So for me, that's been a really fun game to play. (laughs) And I think part of it, again, is I come from a space where I, I don't know personal violence. I did not grow up in an abusive household. I have had, you know, my Me Too moments, but I as a whole, have not experienced that. So I don't, I truly have a field that I can play in without a lot of triggers. And giving someone the gift of taking you to those places, um, you know, it's, it's a huge gift. And when the right person is there to receive it, they recognize that. And so it's this, it's this give and take. It's not just a take, it's a give and take. And at the end, you look at each other and you're like, wow, we actually did that together. That's crazy. Uh, (laughs) But there's this shared appreciation and this mutual, you know, appreciation for the other person. And I think that's where that kind of drive to uh, almost be almost treasure the person more is because you can go do those crazy things together. I hear an interesting distinction in your talking between submission and masochism. And I think that the, the general assumption for people who don't play in this realm would be that, um, that those always go together. But it doesn't sound like that's necessarily true, that for you, a big part of the pleasure get, comes from submitting, but that's not necessarily the same thing as receiving pain. Absolutely. They're totally different. One can exist without the other and often does, um, but they do often go together. Friends, if you love these conversations, I would love your help to keep them going. There are three ways you can participate. Two are free, and one is for listeners who've got a few extra dollars each month. Number one, take a screenshot of this episode right now and post it to your Instagram stories. Tag me in your post, and if it's public, I'll reshare and send you a personal thank you. Word of mouth is the best way to build buzz for an independent show like Good Girls Talk About Sex. And the more people listening, 
the healthier our collective sexual experiences will become. Number two, don't want the whole world to know you're listening to a show about sex? I get it. Perhaps you heard something in this episode that reminds you of a past conversation with a friend or something you wish your partner knew. Send them a link to this episode and a quick message about why you think they should listen. And number three, if you have the resources to support the sex positive work I do, I'd be grateful for your support at Patreon. Donating the equivalent of a fancy cup of coffee each month might not make a big difference to you, but it makes a huge difference to me. There's absolutely no contract or obligation. You can cancel at any time. Plus, I donate 10% of all proceeds to ARC Southeast, an organization that supports women in the Southeast United States to access reproductive services that are currently being legislated out of existence. It's easy to become a patron at patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex. And one more thing, there is a treasure trove of additional audio at Patreon that's free to everyone. You don't even need to have a Patreon account to access them. Just go to patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex to start listening. I appreciate every one of you. Whether you're a client, a patron, a social media follower, or a silent listener, I trust you to know what's right for you. Thank you for being here. Now, let's get back to the show. Before we let Amy go, let's do the quick five. Five quick questions that we'd usually be too polite to ask anybody. Favorite sex position? Doggy style. Uh, Sex during your period? Yes. Now that was something I came into as I got older. I used to, I used to be kind of squicky about it. He was always like, whatever, put down a towel. We got a shower. Um, I was always a little more eh about it, but, um, you know, part of the opening up that my partner and I had was definitely, you know, going all in. And for me, it was dropping some of, some of the kind of shame and worry that I had about certain things and really accepting his acceptance of me because it was complete and it always had been. I just wasn't really able to accept that. I love that. Um, hair down there or bare? Oh, hair down there. All natural. <laughs> Do you trim or just let it grow? I have very soft, not curly. So he actually prefers that I don't trim it. Okay. <laughs> and I'm like, fine. <laughs> <laughs> as little maintenance as possible. Exactly. <laughs> Swallow or not? Swallow. Cleanliness is important. Tidiness. <laughs> that's so funny so i i cannot swallow i i just there's something about it that squicks me out (laughs) um but i really do enjoy you know blowjobs and so my current partner and i 
uh, he is he has no problem with condoms. And so he started getting non-lubricated condoms, mm. um, which makes the cleanup factor really easy. Yeah. <laughs> and it lets us both get what we want, which is kind of awesome. It's a challenge too sometimes because it's it's all about timing. <laughs> and, you know, because that normally isn't just one squirt, it's a couple. And so it's like timing. Okay. Swallow now. Oh, oh, oh no, there's too much. Oh God, no. Now I'm going to gag. And now, and it's funny because any Anytime I start gagging, we start laughing, <laughs> which, which for us is great. I love laughter during sex. So for me, yeah. that, that's just hilarious. But for other people, it might take them out of their, their mind space. But I love it. <laughs> that's awesome. I love it. How much noise do you make during sex? A lot. <laughs> A lot. And sometimes I see other people and they're just like, uh, uh, and I'm like, what's wrong with me? <laughs> For me, it's like a pressure valve. I mean, if I'm holding it in, the pleasure isn't as good. And letting it out kind of lets that energy flow and just magnifies that pleasure. Yeah. Amy, thank you so much. This has been amazing. I'm so grateful to you for being so open and willing to share. Thank you. Oh, this has been a lot of fun. So thank you for giving a place to have this fun conversation. These are are all things that I might have talked about with people here or there. I'm a little nervous (laughs) about talking about it here, but all good stuff. You were awesome. (laughs) Thank you. You made it easy. Aw, thanks. That's it for today. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, or if you're using another podcast app, go to ratethispodcast.com forward slash goodgirls. And remember, there's a treasure trove of audio extras available for free at Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash goodgirlstalkaboutsex. While listening to those extras is free, producing this show is not. If my work is meaningful to you, and you have a few dollars to support it each month, I will gratefully accept your patronage at Patreon. I donate 10% of all Patreon proceeds to ARC Southeast, an organization that supports women in the Southeast United States to access reproductive services that are increasingly difficult to obtain. Find out more and become a community member at patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex. Show notes and transcripts for this episode are at goodgirlstalk.com. Follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Good Girls Talk for more sex positive content. If you have a question or comment about anything you've heard on the show, call and leave a message at 720-GOOD-SEX. Good Girls Talk About Sex is produced by me, Leah Carey, and edited by Gretchen Kilby. I have additional administrative support from Lara O'Connor and Maria Franco. Transcripts are produced by Jan Asiello. Before we go, I want to remind you that the things you may have heard about your sexuality aren't true. You are worthy. You are desirable. You are not broken. As your sex and intimacy coach, I will guide you in embracing the sexuality that is innately yours, no matter what it looks like. To set up your free discovery call, 
go to leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. Until next time, here's to your better sex life. <laughs>